Hebrews chapter 3. Um, my friends and I often have kind of pointless arguments over who the greatest whatever is. Who the greatest basketball player of all time is. Who the greatest president of the United States of America was. Who the greatest, right, whatever. <clears throat> and when it comes to these arguments, my friends are always wrong. Like, I don't understand... <laughs> You know, weird ideas. LeBron James is not the greatest basketball player of all time. And if somebody says that to me, I assume they're 20 years old or younger because they don't know of a man named Michael Jordan, right? I mean, come on. Like he's, yeah. yeah it's just it's unfathomable to me that people can believe these lies, all right? It's stupid. And it comes to presidents, right? And it's, for me, it's always a toss-up. It's either Reagan or Lincoln. Reagan or Lincoln. I don't know. I like them both, right? But you can argue. Nobody ever argues for Taft. I don't know if you know that. Nobody ever. I've never heard anybody make an argument for him. We argue about who the greatest of all time is, right? In first century Judaism, they would argue about things like this a lot. We have writings about them arguing about things a lot. But one thing they did not argue about was who the greatest religious leader in Judaism was. There was no argument. I mean, it's kind of like the Michael Jordan argument. Like, there's no argument to be had. And when it comes to the greatest religious leader of the Jewish people, the man was Moses. Moses was the greatest. Moses was far and away better than any other leader they've ever had, far and away better than any other prophet, far and away better than anybody else. Moses was held in high esteem. And today in our passage, the author of Hebrews is picking a fight by saying Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Look at the text, Hebrews 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6a. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. <clears throat> So when you're doing um, Bible study, when you're reading your scripture during the week, and you see the word therefore, have you heard this before? What are you supposed to do when you see the word therefore? You're supposed to ask, what is it therefore, right? Because it's referring to something back. So what this therefore is referring to is everything he's talked about in the first two chapters. Therefore, in light of all of this, therefore, in light that Jesus is the exact representation of God, therefore, in light that Jesus is greater than the prophets, therefore, that Jesus is greater than the angels, therefore, that Jesus is our trailblazer and our brother, therefore, what? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He's talking to Christians, right? And, and Steve's done an awesome job at laying the groundwork for that. These are believers who are holy brethren who are partakers of the heavenly calling. That's going to be important for next week when Steve's back because he's talking about the second warning passage in Hebrews and that real Christians can have real consequences for not following Jesus in their life. These are Christians. These are believers. And he tells these believers, I want you to consider 
Jesus. Consider Jesus. Um, in our language, consider is like a, it's like a weak word. So like if a friend asked me, hey, Robbie, do you want to come over to my house and, and hang out and have dinner and you can bring the kids and the wife? And I say, I'll consider it. What does that really mean? No, it means no, I'm not going to do that. No. And he knows that too. He's okay, maybe another time, right? Consider, it's weak. Um, sometimes we have like a different phrase for it in Christianese. And somebody asks you to do something you don't want to do. You say, you know what, I'll pray about that. <laughs> right? And that's Christian for no, I'm not doing it, right? But I can blame the Lord for it, not, not myself. So, Consider. It's a weak word in English, but in Greek it's not. This is actually a verb. This is an imperative. This is a command. This is what the whole thing's about. Therefore, in light of who Jesus is, and I've explained, consider him. Consider. It means to take careful notice, to think about carefully, to make a study or an investigation. It takes time. We have to take our thoughts to considering Jesus. Why? Well, the Hebrews, like Trevor said last week, are undergoing persecution and temptation to leave Christianity and revert back to Judaism, right? And he says that the antidote to that is to consider Jesus. Take careful note of who Jesus is. And then he describes who he is. He is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Uh, this is the only place in the entire Bible where Jesus is called an apostle. Interesting, right? <clears throat> and when we think of the apostles, we think of the 12 apostles. Why are they calling Jesus an apostle? Did this guy not know who Jesus was? He knows who he is. The, the name, the, the title apostle, it just means sent one. Was Jesus a sent one? Yeah, he was a sent one. The Father sent him. And I know this because Jesus himself said it. John 17, verse 18, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, As you sent me into the world... I also have sent them into the world. So they're apostles, right? They're the sent ones. And Jesus is a sent one. He was sent here to come and to make atonement for our sin. Which leads to the second office or title that the author of Hebrews says Jesus has as the high priest. You remember the high priest's job in the Old Testament. He had a really important job. So sin separates us from God, and uh, in the Old Testament, God came, and his presence was literally uh, in the tabernacle once they built it. And, and there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and it funneled down onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that Indiana Jones tried to find. You remember this, right? You wake? Okay, good. That's real, and it's there. The Indiana Jones story is not real. That was a good story, but this is real. God's presence is there. And once a year, the job of the high priest is to ceremonially wash, sanctify himself, and he's supposed to go into the Holy of Holies only once a year, because that's where God's at. And he's supposed to go in there, and then he's supposed to sprinkle blood on the, the Ark of the Covenant to make atonement for the sins of the people for that year. This is a big job. And it was such an important thing and such a scary thing to do uh, because going into God's presence is overwhelming and it can kill you. And if this guy didn't do the right things and he wasn't in the right place, he would die. Uh, so much so that they would tie, like God tells them, tie a rope around the guy because if he goes in there and dies, you don't want to go in there. You need to drag him out. They also put bells on him. You know how like you do with your cats? 
I'm not kidding. Like, they put bells on to make sure, okay, he's still moving. Okay, good. Okay, he's not dead. He's still moving, right? They actually, I was looking at um, biblical archaeology this last week, and they found a priestly bell in Jerusalem this last week. Isn't that crazy? It's because this stuff's real. But the high priest's job is to make atonement for the sins of the people. Well, Jesus came to do that. He was sent to do that for us. And now there's atonement before God on our behalf. As an apostle... Jesus represents God to us. Jesus is sent to represent God to us. He's the exact representation of God. That's what the writer already told us. He is representing who God is to us. But as a high priest, (coughs) Jesus represents us to God. Jesus atones for us before the Father. This is who he is, and this is who we need to consider This is who we need to take careful attention to understand. He's the high priest and apostle of our confession, our belief, our faith, right? He's that guy. And now he moves into comparing and showing Jesus' superiority to Moses. If you've been with us and reading along, uh, we compared Jesus to angels before. and, and, And the verdict is Jesus is better than angels. And now he's comparing him to Moses. And to us, this is like a step down. Like angels are really, that's crazy. And then Moses, why is he going down? He isn't in their culture. Moses was held in such high esteem. And there's actually writings from the first century that argue Moses is superior to angels. He's going up. Moses is a big time deal because he was so special and so significant and so different than anybody else in Jewish history. Moses was extremely special, and now the writer's going to show that Jesus is better. Look at verse 2. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. So in order to understand the comparison that's being made, that the, the Hebrews reading this would understand... We need to think about why was Moses so special? Why was he held in such high esteem, right? He was different than everybody else in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, Moses and David are the two names mentioned more than anybody else in the entire Old Testament. They're the important figures of the Old Testament. One of the reasons Moses was so special is because he was sent by God. He's kind of like an apostle. He's a sent one. At the burning bush, you remember God comes to him when he's an old man. He's 80 years old. If you're 80 years old and I just called you an old man, that's okay because you are. (laughs) I'm middle-aged. I don't like it either, all right? We're okay. It's all right. It's all right. Moses was 80 years old. He's old and this is when God gives him his most significant ministry of his life. It's awesome. And he comes and says, I want you to go and I want you to to tell Pharaoh to let two million of my people leave and come out to this mountain and worship me. And he sent him to Egypt. Moses also is a high priest. And I know some of you guys out there are thinking, wait a second, Robbie, I've read the Old Testament. His brother Aaron is actually the high priest, right? Hold on a second. I want to show you a couple of things of how Moses actually was the highest of high priests. In Exodus 2, it tells us that he's of the tribe of Levi. And this was the tribe where the priest came from, right? He's in that priestly tribe. Psalm 99.6 says, Moses and Aaron 
were among God's priests. So the psalmist believes that Moses was a priest. You see that? Moses was a priest. And Moses also did priestly activities. He performed priestly activities. One of them was that he acted as the high priest in inaugurating his brother Aaron as the high priest, right? So he's, he's over that. He's superior to Aaron. Moses also consecrated the tabernacle after they built it, blessed it, sanctioned it to be the house of God. Moses is said in Exodus 24 to have served at the altar. He does priestly duties. And in Exodus 32, 30, Moses makes atonement for the people's sin. Wait a second, that's only something the high priest can do. Yeah, because Moses was a sent one and he was a high priest, much like Jesus. When it came time for Moses and Aaron to die, and Aaron needed to pass on the high priesthood to his son Eleazar, it was actually Moses who passed it on instead of Aaron passing it on. Why? Because Moses was higher than Aaron. Moses is a figure like Jesus. He was also unlike other prophets. He's superior to other prophets of the Old Testament, according to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So not only is he a sent one of God, not only is he a high priest, but he's the most superior prophet that's ever existed in Israel. He's big time, right? You can see why he's the Michael Jordan of the argument. No one's greater than this guy. No one held higher office. He's the man. Numbers 12, 7 through 8. God says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Moses didn't have dreams and visions and oracles like the other prophets. He just met with God. It's different, completely different. This is why the Jews held him in such high esteem. He was so significant and special to them because there was no one else like him. There was, there was no argument as to who was the greatest. Ezra, come on, right? Nehemiah, boo. Joshua, eh, right? No, Moses, he literally writes the first scripture, the first five books of the Bible. Like he's, who else does this? He's superior in every category. And then the author of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus is better. This is picking the fight, you see. But he's right. Jesus is superior to Moses. <clears throat> and this was the uh, best discovery of my week when I was studying this, the author literally wrote a three-point sermon for me. <laughs> I didn't have to do hardly any work. It's just here. He gives us three reasons why Jesus is superior to Moses. The first reason, he says, is in verse 4. Look back at verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The first reason Jesus is superior to Moses is because the builder of a house has more honor than the house. If you're a creator of something, you're superior to it because you brought it into existence, right? God is the builder of all things, is what he said. <clears throat> well, that would make God superior to Moses, right? So where does Jesus come into this? Oh, he's saying Jesus is God. 
Oh, that makes sense. He actually already said it, right? He's the exact representation of his nature. He is God. And the builder of the thing is greater than the thing. Well, what is the house? You even saw in that Numbers passage we looked at that God said that he's been faithful in all my house. Well, the house isn't just the tabernacle. Uh, Moses was faithful to build that. But the house is the people of God. You remember God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would give him descendants that would be greater than the stars in the sky. And then he fulfills that. For 400 years while the Israelites are in Egypt, they grow to be about 2 million people. It's huge. But God built that house. Moses didn't. Moses came along after it had already been built. So who's superior? The one who's managing the house or the one who built the house? The one who built it. Because the builder is greater than the house. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus in Matthew 16 <clears throat> said he's continuing building the people of God. You remember when uh, he's with his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're John the Baptist back from the dead. And he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said, yes. And on that saying, on that truth, on that rock... I will, remember what he said? Build my church. Because Jesus is building the people of God. Jesus is the builder of us. Jesus is the one. God has always been the one behind the building of the house of his people. And Jesus is that God, and he's superior to Moses. Second reason he's superior. Look at verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant... For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. The second reason that Jesus is superior to Moses is because Moses served as a testimony of the things that were to be spoken about Jesus. Moses pointed to Jesus. Jesus didn't point to Moses. Moses foreshadowed the coming of Jesus in his life and his ministry and his writings. And I didn't make this up. Jesus actually says this. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is claiming that Moses wrote about him. You see that? And I had to fulfill it. I have to fulfill all the things Moses foreshadowed about me. Well, how was it that Moses was a testimony to Jesus and he pointed the way to Jesus? If we had two weeks, we could go over all of the ways. I mean, this is, this is really interesting. Do you remember when Jesus fasted 40 days before he starts his ministry? Did you know that Moses fasted for 40 days before he went and received the law from God? Jesus is the good shepherd. For 40 years of his life, Moses was a literal shepherd. When Moses was a kid... Um, the, the emperor of the world wanted to kill all of the Hebrew boys born. When Jesus was a kid, Herod tried to kill all of the Jewish boys born. Moses had to flee to a house in Egypt to find protection from that death sentence. Jesus had to flee to Egypt to find protection from that death sentence. On and on and on and on. A couple of the significant ones I put up on the screen. One of the ways Moses foreshadowed Jesus was with this ordinance God gave him of the Passover lamb. You remember, as he's leading the two million Jews out of Egypt, God says, I want you to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, spotless lamb, kill it, drain it of its blood, <clears throat> and then apply that to the door frames of your house. 
Because the angel of death is going to come and kill the firstborn of every house. But if the blood of the lamb is applied to you, death will pass over you. That's why it's called Passover, right? Jesus is the Passover lamb, but he's like the real one. He's the ultimate one. He's the best one. John the Baptist said this. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, my cousin, he's, he's the guy, right? And if, if the blood of the lamb, the real lamb, is applied to your life, death has passed over you, and you can have eternal life. Jesus, so which is better? Saving your physical life or saving your eternal life? Well, Jesus is better. See, that's the point he's making. Jesus is just better. Another way that Moses foreshadowed the, the coming of Christ was he led the Israelites out of bondage to Egypt. But Jesus comes and he leads anybody who will ask him out of bondage to Satan, sin, and death. Which is better? Jesus, once again, is superior to even Moses. Moses led the Israelites in the, in the desert to eat manna from heaven. You remember this manna thing? Uh, it's like magic honey bread that just shows up on the ground that tastes good and nutritious. Do we even have something like that today, right? It's awesome. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to make it. All they got to do is go and take it. It's great. Jesus actually compares himself to Moses with this claim. It's so interesting. When Jesus was talking about, uh, in John 6, uh, 51 through 58, he's talking about how Moses uh, provided manna in the desert. And then he said, but I'm the living bread come down from heaven. You see that? There's a foreshadowing of Christ. This will give you sustenance to make it through the desert. I'm the bread of life that can give you eternal life forever and ever. Which is better? Jesus, once again, superior. Moses erected the bronze serpent. You remember this story? The people are such punks that God sends fiery snakes to torment them. And then they say, we're sorry, help us. And God says, okay, okay. Moses, if you will build a snake statue and put it on a stick and raise it up high, whenever anybody gets bitten by a snake, if they'll just look to it, they'll be healed. I, would, I hike a lot, and I would love that guarantee because rattlesnakes freak me out a little bit, right? But this worked. Jesus comes along and he says, I must be lifted up from the earth that I might draw all men to myself. You see, Moses is foreshadowing Jesus over and over and over again. When Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he sees his brother, the supposed high priest, uh, having everyone worship a golden calf that they made, he freaks out, he throws down the tablets, he's upset, but then he's, he's scared. And he starts praying, God, please don't kill everybody. God, please don't kill everybody. Please don't destroy everybody. It'll look bad. Pharaoh, they'll laugh at you. Don't kill everybody for this heinous crime, right? Moses intercedes for the people. He mediates for the people. Oh yeah, and Jesus is our mediator. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Daily, he intercedes on our behalf. So which one's better? Jesus. He's just superior in every way. Moses was supposed to foreshadow the coming of Christ, and he messed it up one time, actually. Um, the reason Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land is because he ruined the foreshadowing of Jesus. <clears throat> I used to read this passage when I was a kid, and I thought, God, you are really unfair. Like, this is ridiculous. Because if, if you read about Moses' life, after the, the burning bush thing, 
you will read, and Moses did everything the Lord commanded, and Moses followed the word of the Lord, and Moses obeyed everything God commanded over and over and over. He always just obeys. Whatever God says, he goes and does. The Israelites keep screwing up. He's faithful all the time until Numbers chapter 20. And Moses was having a really bad time. Um, His sister had just died, and then these two million people are just complaining to him all the time. They are punks. And I'm imagining he's thinking, man, I remember when I was a prince in Egypt. That was sweet. And now I'm out here in the desert with all these whiners, right? And they don't ever appreciate anything I do for them. I literally talk to God on their behalf, and they just complain and complain, right? Bad day at the office, bad day at home with his sister dying. And then God comes to him because the people are upset because there's nothing to drink in the desert. And so God says, listen, Moses, I want you to go and speak to this rock and then water will come from it and all the people can drink, all two million, and all the animals can drink. And Moses goes. It says, and Moses obeyed God and he went. And then he gets out there and these people are just treating him like trash and he loses it. And he says, what do you idiots want me to do? You want me to bring water out of this rock? You got it. And then he hits it with his stick out of frustration. And then water comes out and everybody gets to drink. Yay, Moses, right? But then God tells him, because you've disobeyed my word, you do not get to go into the promised land. And he doesn't. He dies in Moab looking at the promised land. And I always thought, God, you're so unfair. There's other, like, you just forgive David for murder and adultery, but this guy makes one mistake. Why are you so strict with him? And then I started thinking about why. In John chapter 4, when Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well, he, he asks her for a drink. You remember this? And then she says, how is it that you being a Jew ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And listen to what Jesus says to her. <clears throat> if you knew the gift of God, and he who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He doesn't say, you would have hit him, and then he would have given you living water. Did you notice that? Because the truth of it is, our salvation doesn't come through works. It comes through asking Jesus. And Moses ruined a foreshadowing of Jesus because he lost his cool and hit the rock. Isn't that interesting? Because his job, and I don't even think he knew it, was to foreshadow Jesus. And this is why Jesus is superior to Moses, because Moses points to Jesus. And as being a witness, the fulfillment is always greater than the witness. Jesus is the fulfillment. Moses was the witness. Jesus is greater because he's the builder of the house. Jesus is greater because Moses served as a testimony to Jesus. And now for the third reason. Look at verse 5. Oh, sorry. Look at verse 4. Oh, no, 5 and 6. That's what we'll look at. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. And he's talking about God's house, not Moses' house. He was faithful in God's house as a servant. Now go down to verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. The reason that Jesus is superior to Moses is because Moses was a servant in the house. Did you see that? Faithful. But Jesus isn't a servant and he isn't in the house. He's a son over it. These prepositions matter. 
Jesus is superior because he's not a servant. The son, the family, is always greater than the servant, but he's also not a part of the house. He's over it. He's greater than. Moses was a part of the people of God. Jesus is the head of the whole thing. Jesus is far superior. You remember when um, Moses dies? Again, super significant and special because God buries Moses. Do you remember that story? very weird it says and Moses died and then God took his body and he buried him and no one knows where his body is no one knows where God buried him but then you have the 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 person that Moses was pointing to and we can't find Jesus's body either but it's not because we don't know where his tomb is in fact we do know where his tomb is Um, the Cardinals aren't playing today so you don't have anything to do this afternoon so when you go home uh Look on Disney Plus. There is a National Geographic special about the tomb of Jesus where they do this thing and National Geographic concludes, yeah, the tomb of Jesus, the real one, is in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. We know where his tomb is and his body's not there because he came out of it. We can't find Moses' body because we don't know where the tomb is. We can't find Jesus' body because his body's risen from the dead, right? He's superior in every way. So how does this all apply to us? The author of Hebrews is writing to them to say, listen, I know that you're being persecuted. I know that the temptation is to go back to Judaism so that the the Roman Empire will leave you alone. They won't throw you to the lions and they won't burn you as torches at their dinner parties. I know. But you need to consider Jesus. You need to think about who he is as the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And when we look to him and his superiority over everything else, that's how we can make it through temptation. He's the antidote. It's not merely the considering of him. It's the realizing the power he offers us and the comfort he brings and the God that he is. And so for us today, 2021, the question I want to ask is, who are you considering rather than Jesus? Who are you falsely believing is greater, right? And it might not be a conscious thought, because as Christians, we, we came in here thinking Jesus is better than Moses before I preached, right? We, we didn't have a problem with that. But when we go out to live it, and we're stressed out, and we're going through tough times, we don't consider Jesus. We consider politicians. We consider our church leaders. We consider our boss. We consider our friend. And he's saying, why, why do you keep looking to people who are inferior when we, have, when we have Jesus to get through anything. And so often I think that we forget what Jesus offers as the apostle and the high priest of our confession. We think Jesus gave a second giving of the law, like he's Moses 2.0. Moses gave us some rules to follow, Jesus came to give us some rules to follow, and that's what we're supposed to do. That is completely false. Um, the rules that Moses gave people in the Old Testament they didn't follow very well. You remember like when they, when they'd sin, they have to go take an animal to sacrifice, right? And then what if you sin while you're in line with your animal? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever sinned and you didn't mean to? Yeah, a lot. And then you've also sinned and you meant to, right? We do both. But you're standing in line and then somebody cuts you off or cuts the, like, have you ever been to Disneyland and people cut in front of you? I hate that. It bugs me and I don't act right. I would have to go get another animal. Does that make sense? Like, so you literally would just always be in line. Gosh, oh, man, I can't do anything right. 
That's the point. That's the point. But then it was awesome because the high priest could go in and any sin you forgot about or when you screwed up and you didn't bring the animal because you were like, I can't go stand anymore in line. He'd atone for it all. You see, this is who we have with Jesus. He didn't come to give us more rules to follow because outside conformity to rules doesn't change who we are. And Jesus doesn't want us just to act good. He wants us to be good. So he comes with the new covenant to write the law in our hearts is what Jeremiah said. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is it. I'm coming and I'm going to not conform you from the outside in. I'm going to conform you to my image from the inside out. Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you. And I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. Because he's literally Emmanuel, God with us. Because he's the sent one, you see. And when we believe that he's the second giving of more rules... We're way off base and we haven't considered who he says he is. Have you ever tried to purify yourself? It's a waste of time. You're basically standing in line with animals that'll never really fix the problem. But you say, I'm going to be more patient. This year, I'm going to work on patience. This year, I'm going to work on having more self-control. And you work on it for a while and then something happens and you're right back where you started. And it's because that's not how it works. There's only one person in our species who has ever lived the way they're supposed to, and it was Jesus Christ. And he offers you the power that he has to live the Christian life in and through you if you'll let him do it and stop trying yourself. You see, that's what he offers and what we've got to consider. Stop looking to outward people to fix your inward problems. I had to pay... $3.40 for gas yesterday per gallon. And I felt persecuted. <laughs> right? And immediately my thoughts go to, well, we got to vote. We got to do We got to. Again, we got to be responsible. But Jesus is superior to all of that. He says, I'll provide. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat or where or how much you're going to pay for gas? Don't, don't I provide for the birds, Robbie? And so often I don't consider him, right? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. If you're here today and you haven't believed in what he did for you on the cross, you need to consider him too. I know many of you have, but there's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to a right relationship with God. There's no other way to forgiveness other than through Jesus. Because God's standard is 100% perfection and all of us fall immensely short of that. But he came and lived perfect as the sent one of God, made atonement for us on the cross. And if we consider that and trust in him, he offers us living water, living bread, eternal life for believing and asking for it. If you haven't done that, you need to do that because this is not the only way for me as a Christian. This is the only way for all people in all times, in all places. It's exclusive because truth is always exclusive. Consider Jesus. Let's go out this week and remember who we follow. Let's go out this week and remember who the apostle and high priest of our confession is and that there's nobody superior to him. So why look anywhere else? Consider Jesus.